0: LETTER 37 PART 2 OF PAMELA VOLUME 2 THIS IS A LIBRIVOX RECORDING. ALL LIBRIVOX RECORDINGS ARE IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. FOR MORE INFORMATION OR TO VOLUNTEER PLEASE VISIT LIBRIVOX.ORG. PAMELA VOLUME 2 BY SAMUEL RICHARDSON LETTER 37 PART 2 SATURDAY MORNING it is hardly right to trouble either of you, my honoured correspondence, with an affair that has vexed me a good deal, and indeed should affect me more than any other mistress of a family, for reasons which will be obvious to you when I tell you the case. And this I cannot forbear doing. A pretty genteel young body, my Polly Barlow, as I call her, having been well recommended, and behaved with great prudence till this time, is the cause. My dear Mr. B. and the two ladies agreed with me to take a little airing in the coach, and to call in upon Mr. Martin, who had a present made him for his menagerie, in which he takes a great delight of a rare and uncommon creature, a native of the East Indies. But just as Sir Jacob was on horseback to accompany them, and the ladies were ready to go, I was taken with a sudden disorder and faintishness, so that Lady Davers, who is very tender of me and watches every change of my countenance, would not let me go with them, though my disorder was going off. And my dear Mr. B. was pleased to excuse me, and just meeting with Mr. Williams as they went to the coach, they took him with them to fill up the vacant place. So I retired to my closet and shut myself in. They had asked Mr. H. to go with them for company to Sir Jacob, but he, on purpose, as I believe by what followed, could not be found when they set out. So they supposed he was upon some ramble with Mr. Colebrand, his great favorite. "'I was writing to you, being pretty well recovered, "'when I heard Polly, as I supposed and as it proved, "'come into my apartment. "'And down she sat and sung a little catch and cried, "'Hem, twice, and presently I heard two voices, "'but suspecting nothing I wrote on till I heard a kind of rustling "'and struggling, and Polly's voice crying, "'Fie, how can you do so, pray, sir?' this alarmed me much because we have such orderly folks about us and i looked through the keyhole and to my surprise and concern saw mr h foolish gentleman taking liberties with polly that neither became him to offer nor more foolish girl her to suffer and having reason to think that this was not their first interview and freedom and the girl sometimes encouragingly laughing as at other times inconsistently struggling and complaining in an accent that was too tender for the occasion i forced a faint cough This frighted them both. Mr. H. swore and said, "'Who can that be? Your lady's gone with them, isn't she?' "'I believe so. I hope so,' said the silly girl, yet that was like her voice. "'Ma'am, are you in your closet, ma'am?' said she, coming up to the door, Mr. H. standing like a poor thief, half behind the window curtains, till he knew whether it was I." I opened the door. Away sneaked Mr. H. and she leaped with surprise, not hoping to find me there, though she asked the question. I thought, indeed, ma'am, I thought you were gone out. It is plain you did, Polly. Go and shut the chamber door and come to me again. She did, but trembled and was so full of confusion that I pitied the poor creature and hardly knew how to speak to her. For my compassion got the upper hand of my resentment, and as she stood quaking and trembling and looking on the ground with a countenance I cannot describe, I now and then cast my eye upon her and was as often forced to put my handkerchief to it at last i said how long have these freedoms passed between you and mr h i am loth to be censorious polly but it is too plain that mr h would not have followed you into my chamber if he had not met you at other places the poor girl said never a word "'Little did I expect, Polly, that you would have shown so much imprudence. "'You have had instances of the vile arts of men against poor maidens. "'Have you any notion that Mr. H. intends to do honourably by you? "'Ma'am, ma'am, I believe, I hope, I dare say Mr. H. would not do otherwise.' So much the worse that you believe, so if you have not very good reason for your belief, does he pretend that he will marry you? She was silent. Tell me, Polly, if he does. He says he will do honorably by me, but you know there is but one word necessary to explain that other precious word honor. In this case, it is matrimony. That word is as soon spoken as any other, and if he means it, he will not be shy to speak it. She was silent. Tell me, Polly, for I am really greatly concerned for you, what you think yourself. Do you hope he will marry you? She was silent. Do, good Polly, I hope I may call you good yet, answer me. Pray, madam and she wept and turned from me to the wainscot. Pray excuse me, but indeed, Polly, I cannot excuse you. You are under my protection. I was once in as dangerous a situation as you can be in, and I did not escape it, child, by the language and conduct I heard from you. Language and conduct, ma'am?' Yes, Polly, language and conduct, do you think, if I had set me down in my lady's bedchamber, sung a song and hemmed twice, and Mr. B. coming to me upon that signal, for such I doubt it was, I had kept my place, and suffered myself to be rumpled, and only in a soft voice, and with an encouraging laugh cried, How can you do so, that I should have been what I am? Men i dare say my lord so all the servants call him and his aunt often when she puts jacky to it means no hurt no hurt polly what and make you cry fie or do you intend to trust your honour to his mercy rather than to your own discretion i hope not mem i hope not too polly but you know he was free enough with you to make you say fie, and what might have been the case, who knows, had I not coughed on purpose, unwilling for your sake, Polly, to find matters so bad as I feared and that you would have been led beyond what was reputable. Reputable, ma'am? Yes, Polly, I'm sorry you oblige me to speak so plain, but your good requires it. Instead of flying from him, you not only laughed when you cried out, Fie, and how can you do so, but had no other care than to see if anybody heard you, and you observe how he slid away like a guilty creature on my opening the door. Do these things look well, Polly? Do you think they do? And if you hope to emulate my good fortune, do you think this is the way?' "'I wish, ma'am, I had never seen Mr. H., "'for nobody will look upon me if I lose your favor.' "'It will still, Polly,' and I took her hand with a kind look, "'be in your power to keep it. "'I will not mention this matter "'if you make me your friend and tell me all that has passed.' "'Again she wept and was silent. "'This made me more uneasy. "'Don't think, Polly,' said I, "'that I would envy any other person's preferment.' when I have been so much exalted myself. If Mr. H. has talked to you of marriage, tell me. No, ma'am, I can't say he has yet. Yet, Polly, then he never will, for when men do talk of it, they don't always mean it. But whenever they mean it, how can they confirm a doubting maiden without mentioning it? But alas for you, poor Polly, the freedoms you have permitted, no doubt, "'previous to those I heard, and which might have been greater, "'had I not surprised you with my cough, "'show too well that he need not make any promises to you.' "'Indeed, ma'am,' said she, sobbing, "'I might be too little upon my guard, "'but I would not have done any ill for the world. "'I hope you would not, Polly, but if you suffer these freedoms, "'you can't tell what you'd have permitted.' Tell me, do you love Mr. H.? He is very good-humoured, madam, and is not proud. No, tis not his business to be proud when he hopes to humble you. Humble you, indeed, beneath the lowest person of the sex. That is honest. I hope. You hope, interrupted I. You hope too much, and I fear a great deal for you, because you fear so little for yourself but say how often have you been in private together in private ma'am i don't know what your ladyship calls private why that is private polly when as just now you neither imagined nor intended anybody should see you she was silent and i saw by this poor girl how true lovers are to their secret though perhaps their ruin depends upon keeping it but it behooved me, on many accounts, to examine this matter narrowly, because if Mr. H. should marry her, it would have been laid upon Mr. B.'s example, and if Polly were ruined, it would be a sad thing, and people would have said, "Ay, she could take care enough of herself, but none at all of her servant. Her waiting-maid had a much more remiss mistress than Pamela found, or the matter would not have been thus." well polly i see continued i that you will not speak out to me you may have several reasons for it possibly though not one good one but as soon as lady davers comes in who has a great concern in this matter as well as lord davers and are answerable to lord h in a matter of so much importance as this i will leave it to her ladyship's consideration and shall no more concern myself to ask you questions about it for then i must take her ladyship's directions and part with you to be sure the poor girl frighted at this for everybody fears lady davers wrung her hands and begged for god's sake i would not acquaint lady davers with it but how can i help it must i not connive at your proceedings if i do not you are no fool polly in other cases tell me How it is possible for me in my situation to avoid it! I will tell your ladyship the whole truth, indeed I will, if you will not tell Lady Davers. I am ready to sink at the thoughts of Lady Davers knowing anything of this. This looked sadly, I pitied her, but yet was angry in my mind, for I saw too plainly that her conduct could not bear a scrutiny, not even in her own opinion, poor creature i said make me acquainted with the whole will your ladyship promise i'll promise nothing polly when i have heard all you think proper to say i will do what befits me to do but with as much tenderness as i can for you and that's all you ought to expect me to promise why then madam but how can i speak it i can speak sooner to anybody than to lady davers and you madam for her ladyship's passion and your ladyship's virtue how shall i and then she threw herself at my feet and hid her face with her apron i was in agonies for her almost i wept over her and raised her up and said tell me all you cannot tell me worse than i apprehend nor i hope so bad oh polly tell me soon for you give me great pain and my back with grief and compassion for the poor girl was ready to open as it seemed to me In my former distresses I have been overcome by fainting next to death, and was deprived of sense for some moments, but else, I imagine, I must have felt some such affecting sensation as the unhappy girl's case gave me. Then, madam, I own, said she, I've been too faulty. As how? As what? In what way? How faulty, asked I, as quick as thought, you are not ruined are you tell me polly no madam but but what say but what i had consented to what to his proposals madam what proposals why madam i was to live with mr h I understand you too well, but is it too late to break? So wretched a bargain. Have you already made a sacrifice of your honor? No, madam, but I have given it under my hand. Under your hand? Ah, Polly, it is well if you have not given it under your heart, too. But what foolishness is this? What consideration has he made you? He has given it under his hand that he will always love me. And when his lordship's father dies, he will own me. What foolishness is this on both sides? But are you willing to be released from this bargain? Indeed I am, madam, and I told him so yesterday, but he says he will sue me and ruin me if I don't stand to it. You are ruined if you do, and I wish. But tell me, Polly, are you not ruined as it is? Indeed I am not, madam, I doubt, then, you were upon the brink of it, had not this providential indisposition kept me at home. You met, I suppose, to conclude your shocking bargain. Oh, poor unhappy girl! But let me see what he has given under his hand. He has em both, madam, to be drawn up fair, and in a strong hand that shall be like a record. Could I have thought, miss that a girl of nineteen could be so ignorant in a point so important, when in everything else she has shown no instances like this stupid folly. Has he given you money? Yes, madam, he gave me He gave me a note. Here it is. He says anybody will give me money for it. And this was a bank note of fifty pounds, which she pulled out of her stays the result was he was to settle one hundred pounds a year upon her and hers poor poor girl and was to own her as he calls it but as wife or mistress she stipulated not when his father died and he came into the title and estate I told her it was impossible for me to conceal the matter from Lady Davers if she would not, by her promises, to be governed entirely by me, and to abandon all thoughts of Mr. H., give me room to conclude that the wicked bargain was at an end, and to keep the poor creature in some spirits, and to enable her to look up, and to be more easy under my direction, I blamed him more than I did her, though considering what virtue requires of a woman and custom has made shameless in a man i think the poor girl inexcusable and shall not be easy while she is about me for she is more to blame because of the two she has more wit than the man but what can i do thought i if i put her away "'twill be to throw her directly into his hands. "'He won't stay here long, and she may see her folly.' "'But yet her eyes were open. "'She knew what she had to trust to, "'and by their wicked beginning and her encouraging repulses, "'I doubt she would have been utterly ruined that very day. "'I knew the rage Lady Davers would be in with both, "'so this was another embarrassment.' yet should my good intentions fail, and they conclude their vile bargain, and it appeared that I knew of it, but would not acquaint her, then should I have been more blamed than any mistress of a family, circumstanced as I am. Upon the whole I resolved to comfort the girl as well as I could, till I had gained her confidence, that my advice might have the more weight, and by degrees be more likely to reclaim her, For, poor soul, there would be an end of her reputation, the most precious of all jewels, the moment the matter was known, and that would be a sad thing. As for the man, I thought it best to take courage, and you that know me will say I must have a good deal more than usual to talk to Mr. H. on this subject, and she consenting I should— and with great protestations declaring her sorrow and repentance, begging to get her note of hand again, and to give him back his note of fifty pounds, I went down to find him. He shunned me as a thief would a constable at the head of a hue and cry. As I entered one room, he went into another, looking with conscious guilt, yet confidently humming a tune. At last I fixed him, bidding Rachel tell Polly he wanted to send a message by her to her lady, by which I doubted not he was desirous to know what she had owned in order to govern himself accordingly. His back was towards me, and I said, Mr. H., here I am myself to take your commands.' he gave a caper half a yard high. Madam, I wanted, I wanted to speak to, I would have spoken with, you wanted to send Polly to me, perhaps, Mr. H., to ask if I would take a little walk with you in the garden. Very true, madam, very true indeed, you have guessed the matter, I thought it was pity, this fine day, as everybody was taking airing. Well then, sir, Please to lead the way and i'll attend you yet i fancy madam the wind is a little too high for you won't you catch cold no never fear mr h i'm not afraid of a little air i will attend you presently madam you'll be in the great gravel walk or on the terrace i'll wait upon you in an instant i had the courage to take hold of his arm as if i had liked to have slipped "'For, thought I, thou shalt not see the girl till I have talked to thee a little, if thou dost then. "'Excuse me, Mr. H., I hope I have not hurt my foot. I must lean upon you. "'Will you be pleased, madam, to have a chair? I fear you have sprained your foot. "'Shall I help you to a chair? No, no, sir, I shall walk it off, if I hold by you.' "'So he had no excuse to leave me, and we proceeded into the garden.' but never did anything look so like a foolish fellow, as his aunt calls him. He looked, if possible, half a dozen ways at once, hemmed, coughed, turned his head behind him every now and then, started half a dozen silly subjects in hopes to hinder me from speaking. I appeared, I believe, under some concern how to begin with him, for he would have it, I was not very well, and begged he might step in one minute to desire Mrs. Jervis to attend me, So I resolved to begin with him, lest I should lose the opportunity, seeing my eel so very slippery. And placing myself on a seat, asked him to sit down. He declined and would wait upon me presently, he said, and seemed to be going. So I began, It is easy for me, Mr. H., to penetrate into the reason why you are so willing to leave me, but tis for your own sake that I desire you to hear me, "'that no mischief may ensue among friends and relations "'on an occasion to which you are no stranger. "'Oh, madam, what can you mean? "'Surely, madam, you don't think amiss of a little innocent liberty or so.' "'Mr. H,' replied I, "'I want not any evidence of your inhospitable designs "'upon a poor, unwary young creature "'whom your birth and quality have found it too easy a task to influence.' inhospitable designs madam a harsh word you very nice ladies cannot admit of the least freedom in the world why madam i have kissed a lady's woman before now in a civil way or so and never was called to an account for it as a breach of hospitality "'Tis not for me, Mr. H., to proceed to very nice particulars, with a gentleman who can act as you have done by a poor girl, that dare not have looked up to a man of your quality, had you not leveled all distinction between you, in order to level the weak creature to the common dirt of the highway.' I must say that the poor girl heartily repents of her folly, and to show you that it signifies nothing to deny it, she begs you will return the note of her hand you extorted from her foolishness, and I hope you'll be so much of a gentleman as not to keep in your power such a testimony of the weakness of any of the sex. Has she told you that, madam? Why, maybe indeed i can't but say truly it mayn't look so well to you madam but young folks will have frolics it was nothing but a frolic let me be hanged if it was be pleased then sir to give up her note to me to return to her reputation should not be frolicked with sir especially that of a poor girl who has nothing else to depend upon i'll give it her myself if you please madam and laugh at her into the bargain why tis comical enough if the little pug thought i was earnest i must have a laugh or two at her madam when i give it her up since tis but a frolic mr h you won't take it amiss that when we are set down to supper we call polly in and demand a sight of her note and that will make every one merry as well as you not so madam that mayn't be so well neither for perhaps they will be apt to think it is in earnest when as i hope to live tis but a jest nothing in the world else upon honour i put on then a still more serious air as you hope to live say you mr h and upon your honour how fear you not an instant punishment for this appeal and what is the honour you swear by? Take that and answer me, sir. Do gentlemen give away bank-notes for frolics and for mere jests and nothing in the world else? I am sorry to be obliged to deal thus with you, but I thought I was talking to a gentleman who would not forfeit his veracity, and that in so solemn an instance as this, he looked like a man thunderstruck. His face was distorted. "'and his head seemed to turn about upon his neck "'like a weathercock in a hurricane "'to all points of the compass, "'his hands clenched as in a passion, "'and yet shame and confusion "'struggling in every limb and feature. "'At last he said, "'I am confoundedly betrayed. "'But if I am exposed to my uncle and aunt, "'for the wretch thought of nobody but himself, "'I am undone, "'and shall never be able to look them in the face. "'Tis true, I had a design upon her.' And since she has betrayed me, I think I may say that she was as willing almost as I. Ungenerous, contemptible wretch, thought I. But such of our sex as can thus give up their virtue ought to expect no better, for he that sticks not at one bad action will not scruple at another to vindicate himself, and so devil-like become the attempter and the accuser too. But if you will be so good, said he, with hands uplifted, as to take no notice of this to my uncle, and especially to my aunt, and Mr. B., I swear to you, I I never will think of her as long as I live. And you'll bind this promise, will you, sir, by your honor, and as you hope to live? Dear good madam, forgive me, I beseech you, don't be so severe upon me. By all that's don't swear, Mr. H., but as an earnest that I may believe you, give me back the girl's foolish note, that though tis of no significance, she may not have that, to witness her folly. He took out his pocket book. There it is, madam, and I beg you'll forgive this attempt. I see I ought not to have made it. I doubt it was a breach of the laws of hospitality, as you say. But to make it known will only expose me, and it can do no good and Mr. B. will perhaps resent it, and my aunt will never let me hear the last of it, nor my uncle neither, and I shall be sent to travel again, and, added the poor creature, I was once in a storm, and the crossing the sea again would be death to me. What a wretch art thou, thought I, what could such an one as thou find to say to a poor creature that, if put in the scale against considerations of virtue, should make the latter kick the transcriber's note illegible. Poor, poor, Tony Barrow, thou art sunk indeed, too low for excuse and almost beneath pity. I told him if I could observe that nothing passed between them that should lay me under a necessity of revealing the matter, I should not be forward to expose him nor the maiden either, but that he must in his own judgment excuse me if I made everybody acquainted with it if i were to see the correspondence between them likely to be renewed or carried on for added i in that case i should owe it to myself to mr b to lord and lady davers and to you and the unhappy body too, to do so he would needs drop down on one knee to promise this and with a thousand acknowledgments left me to find mr Colbrand in order to ride to meet the coach on its return i went in and gave the foolish note to the silly girl which she received eagerly and immediately burnt and i told her i would not suffer her to come near me but as little as possible when i was in company while mr h stayed but consigned her entirely to the care of Mrs. Jervis, to whom only I said I would hint the matter as tenderly as I could. And for this, I added, I had more reasons than one, first to give her the benefit of a good gentlewoman's advice, to which I had myself formerly been beholden, and from whom I concealed nothing, next to keep out of Mr. H.'s way, and lastly that I might have an opportunity from Mrs. Jervis's opinion to judge of the sincerity of her repentance. For, Polly, said I, you must imagine, so regular and uniform as all our family is, and so good as I thought all the people about me were, that I could not suspect that she, the duties of whose place made her nearest to my person, was the farthest from what I wished. I have set this matter so strongly before her, and Mrs. Jervis has so well seconded me that I hope the best. For the grief the poor creature carries in her looks and expresses in her words cannot be described, frequently accusing herself with tears, saying often to Mrs. Jervis she is not worthy to stand in the presence of her mistress, whose example she has made so bad an use of, and whose lessons she had so ill followed i am sadly troubled at this matter however but i take great comfort in reflecting that my sudden indisposition looked like a providential thing which may save one poor soul and be a seasonable warning to her as long as she lives meantime i must observe that at supper last night mr h looked abject and mean and like a poor thief as i thought and conscious of his disappointed folly though i seldom glanced my eye upon him had less to say for himself than ever and once my lady davers laughing said i think in my heart my nephew looks more foolish every time i see him than the last he stole a look at me and blushed and my lord said "Jacky has some grace he blushes Hold up thy head, nephew. Hast thou nothing at all to say for thyself? Sir Jacob said, A blush becomes a young gentleman. I never saw one before, though, in Mr. H. What's the matter, sir? Only, said Lady Davers, his skin or his conscience is mended, that's all. Thank you, madam, was all he said, bowing to his aunt, and affecting a careless yet confused air, as if he whispered a whistle. Oh wretch, thought I, see what it is to have a condemning conscience, while every innocent person looks round easy, smiling, and erect. But yet it was not the shame of a bad action, I doubt, but being discovered and disappointed that gave him his confusion of face. What a sad thing for a person to be guilty of such actions, as shall put it in the power of another, even by a look, to mortify him and if poor souls can be thus abjectly struck at such a discovery by a fellow-creature, how must they appear before an unerring and omniscient judge, with a conscience standing in the place of a thousand witnesses, and calling in vain upon the mountains to fall upon them, and the hills to cover them? How serious this subject makes one! End of letter 37, part 2